Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on BlogTalkRadio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you've just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on BlogTalkRadio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Judith Hill has been immersed in music since the time she could only stand in her crib and see Sly Stone, Billy Preston, and other funk soul icons hanging out with her musician parents in the living room. Back in June of 2009, Judith shared the stage with Michael Jackson and was honored to be chosen as the only female lead vocalist for his This Is It tour before he tragically passed away during the rehearsal period. Judith is no newcomer to the music biz. She, in fact, has recorded and performed with a number of legendary superstars such as Elton John, Smokey Robinson, Usher, Babyface, and Rod Stewart, just to name a few. Her singing has also been heard in several high-profile movies, including Sex in the City 2, Dreamgirls, and Happy Feet 2. 
Combining electro, soul, pop, and hints of ambient funk into her take on love, heartache, and joy, she rides the line between avant-garde and pop radio with big beats, bass, synths, world instruments, and a range of emotions. Judith is currently writing and recording her debut solo album with the legendary producer Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics. Judith Hill, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Thank you. Glad to be on the show. <laughs> oh, we're very glad to have you and very excited. And um, just to get started, you know, we know that your parents were in the music business when they met, but tell us how, actually, how old were you when they recognized your talent and you actually started your singing? Um, I think I was four years old when I was, like, in the back of my mother's car and um, singing some songs I learned from school, and she was like, hey, she sounds really good. So then that's when um, she kind of started pushing me to sing in the studio and record. Um, my parents were very, you know, adamant about pushing me to do music at an early age. I'd say it was like four years old. Wow, wow. So you were in the studio at four years old? Yeah, I did my wow. first song. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and that's amazing because you really got your start in music and you, you've done, which a lot of people don't understand, you've been a, a sessions musician. And tell us a little bit about um, the demands of a sessions musician and the experience that you've gained working in the industry at that level. Um, so session work is um, very different. It's, it's a lot of uh, basically knowing how to blend. Being a chameleon kind of, in the different settings, it depends on the session, what they're asking for. You can um, mimic a voice and make it sound like someone else or blending with a choir or bringing personality to the commercial or whatever. Um, so you just kind of have to be very diverse and, and just be able to, like, adapt to the situation. Um, so that, that's kind of, like, what I would experience doing session work. And what I've heard from other musicians, it's, like, the, the most difficult work that you can possibly do in the industry. Um, yeah, it's actually, it's kind of fun, too, because it's, it's a nice challenge to step outside of yourself um, and 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 just kind of be someone else, which is always fun to do. Um, yeah, it's very strict. You've got to really be professional, get there on time. I think that, like, 50% of it is how professional you are there. You're on time. You're, you're, you're efficient. You're fast. Um, all these things, like, Play into you getting called again. So yeah, so it's a lot um, more uh, high stress than just doing like the artist thing, like in the studio. Yeah, because you really never know what they're going to ask you for, and if they want to, they can change yeah. it at any given moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how long have you been performing? Um, I've been performing since I remember, you know, growing up, recording and singing early on, and I, and I started to, you know, I would always perform and sing in, in church and when I was a kid, and then I grew up always just doing that, and wherever my parents were performing, I would do some performances, and um, in college is when I really started to just get a strong musical background and education, and then um, working on my project and performing around town in L.A. and doing my own gigs. Yeah, tell so us a little was, bit about your parents and the bands that they were in. Yeah, my parents were both in some really, really fun. My mom, both like my dad used to be in band with Billy Preston, and um, 
they were like roofers and limestone. Oh wow! <laughs> like that was so just like really really cool to be in the household and, and just experience like these great amazing like soul funk artists um, just through my parents that was always like a great education. And, and and how did you go about starting your first band? You know, my parents were actually in my first band. They really? Were, <laughs> yeah. I would, like, try to, like, fake it like they weren't, like, parents on stage. Like, hey, this is, but everyone in the audience knew. So I kind of had to stop doing that because it wasn't really good look. But it was, like, it was so much, like, you know, they're such great musicians. They, like, they killed a job, like, just such a good job, and they just, like, loved helping me out. So that was, like, a really sweet memory. <laughs> but wow. that's what I would do early on. It would be like a family affair up there. Wow, that's nice. I actually saw some pictures on your Facebook of your parents and you as a little girl. You were so cute. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And um, tell us how you found out about the audition for um, This Is It and the tour. Um, I was kind of gigging around town and I met a musician friend of mine who just like, we hit it off, and he's like, hey, I'd love to get you, you know, doing more gigs. And then, like, the next day he called me, and he's like, hey, you know, Michael's looking for his, a female background singer. Do you mind if I put your name? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't really, like, take it seriously until, like, a week later, like, the vocal director and Michael Barrett and Dory Holling called me and had me come in and do an audition, and, and it was, like, a really small audition, and then. Like, a couple weeks later, they hired me. So it was all very, like, just unexpected and, like, it just came out of nowhere. Wow. What did you sing when you auditioned? Remember the time, Man in the Mirror. I just can't stop loading you. I think those are the three songs. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. And any idea of how many others auditioned for your spot? I'm not sure. I don't really know. I know that they had an audition previous to hiring me. I don't know how many people were in that, but um, they called me in um, afterwards for it. Really? So what did you think when they told you you had the gig? I I really couldn't believe it, and I I was just kind of, like, taken back a little bit, like, oh, wow, okay, cool. Uh, Okay, you guys didn't even know me, but... But I kind of knew Michael Bearden from the past, which helped the situation. And, you know, apparently Michael Jackson had say so in, like, taking me. You know, this was all, I wasn't present. They just kind of told me, like, oh, we decided, you know. So it was very, like, I was an unexpected blessing. It was really cool. Wow. So you you pretty much had to make some changes also to accommodate this um, new work schedule, right? Yeah, I did. It made some real quick changes. In fact, I was, like, really broke at the time. And, I, you know, I've always made money doing music. Um, but at that season of my life, I was, like, really, like, going through. So I got a, a day job. I just got hired at a guest clothing store in the mall. And they had just really? been hired. And then, then I got the gig from Michael. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm not going to take the job, which was this I thought that was pretty hilarious because it was, like, the first time I'd ever, like, decided to work in retail, which ended up just not happening. So it was, like, definitely, like, a blessing. It came at the perfect time. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, are, are you currently a student as well? Were you a student at the time? 
Um, no, I graduated um, from college in oh oh seven or oh six. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was out of college for a couple of years, um, and I and I after college I went on tour like overseas as a background singer and had done other stuff. So I wasn't I wasn't in school. Oh yeah, and, and um, I saw one of the blogs a little story you had about um, France. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, France was pretty exciting. It was pretty wild. It was it was like the first like big thing I'd done after my college years, and so it was like, and it was really my first time spending so much time like out of the country. So and it was just a blast. We had so much fun. Um, you know, on a gig like that where you're paid really well and you get to just travel and sightsee um, as a vacation, but it's really a work. You can't really ask for anything better. It was just a lot of, I gained a lot of experience and made some really good friends. And um, yeah, it was really, it was a really great time in my life. Oh, that's awesome. And there was even a little story here uh, um, of your experience sitting on the curb with um Gypsies and even the excitement of running away from thugs. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, my friend had a really bright idea to like get off the subway in the suburbs where there was no one around, and we got in like a lot of trouble. And we like they chased us down, and we we like I, I was the retarded one for like hailing down a fake taxi because it was a fake taxi stand and. We found out quickly that that wasn't a real cab, and and then there's like the thugs that came out and like started chasing us, and we ran all the way back to the the subway station. Um, just ignorant <laughs> Americans. It was just really not a good moment, but something to look back at it and laugh. Right, right. Yeah. Now, um, interestingly enough, again, you've worked with a lot of um, big name talents. Um, Babyface and Elton John and the like, and tell us a little bit about um, working with all of these major talents and what you learned for them. Um, it's just always learning something different from the grades. It was great working with on the Elton on Elton John project because it was um, it was actually Elton and Leon Russell and and just great two great legendary people that and seeing just seeing there with Bernie and, and all the songwriters and, and seeing how they put their songs together and seeing them record the piano part and, and the vocals and just the magic of of that world was just so cool. It inspired me to go home and write some songs and, and just taking in that whole thing. It just that was so cool. And yeah, and, and and every time I get on stage with someone amazing and incredible, I just I, I see off their energy, and I think that, that from the energy they put off on stage, that teaches me something new about how I can perform and make my stuff better. And um, So it's, it's always a blessing to be able to work with these amazing people. And um, even Rod Stewart and um, Smokey Robinson, it's just amazing the diverse group of folks you've had a chance to work with. And, yeah, um, how was it different for you when you did your um, your part or whatever you had to do for the movies? And tell us a little bit about what you did for, for instance, um, Sex in the City 2 and Dream Girls and Happy Feet 2. Uh-huh. Those are, like, session gigs that are primarily, like, choir stuff and mm-hmm. um, 
And so I would get called in to maybe I'll do some leads and stuff, but mostly choir stuff. Um, so it's more group setting. Um, and you just get in there and you get in with a large group of people and make make the gospel choir or whatever, children's choir, whatever they want. And Happy Feet Project, it's a lot of fun. Um, trying to, like, be the penguin sound and different characters. So that's really that's a lot of fun. <laughs> and you did some of the penguin sounds as well. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, in the film, this is it. And of course, it was just the um, the documentary of the uh, pre- preparation of the um, tour. When we see your you perform your duet with Michael in the film, mm-hmm. um, I could see in the movie while you and Michael were performing that he was actually directing you and guiding you with his dance gestures and eye contact and his song phrasing, and you seemed to respond very well. And he was very pleased to the point of him actually singing to full voice, which is not what he expected. Tell us what went through your mind when you realized that you may have had a little something to do with that. Oh, that was just like once in a, I mean, that was the most memorable experience ever because, yeah, I mean, he would very much save his voice throughout the rehearsals and then for him to like give it, give it full, you know, vocal presentation on that, that was just such a blessing. Like I couldn't believe it. And, and he got, excited singing it and um and it was just it was i mean it was the most incredible experience to have like the king of pop like singing with you and like really like doing his thing up there um so that was that was so that was so amazing and and we could really see too that he was he was into it and he just let it go you know and that, that was just really really awesome yeah and um how, how did the news of his passing so tragically and suddenly impact you? Um, I, I know that, you know, you had probably envisioned in your mind a, a different plan for the future. And how did this all change for you? Um, it was, I, I don't know, it's still weird, you know, because it doesn't, it, it never should happen. And it, it just really was the biggest shock. And I, it's just like really hard to like, process and accept something like that because it's like the most like tragic and weird way to continue but but again it's just so bittersweet because it was like the most amazing experience and um I'm kind of I'm still like working my way through it I mean it's, I know it's been over a year mm-hmm. but it still feels very fresh and um it still feels very like it just happened yesterday um and everything I do somehow comes back to that moment, um, whether I, you know, just, I don't really have much control over it. I just, you know, just by association, by what what it's brought into my life, it's definitely, like, stamped it to a mark on my on my story in a really big way. Um, and it's just, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's hard to even explain because, I mean, I'm so thankful for it, but at the same time, I just feel like he should still be here, you know, mm-hmm. with us. Right. Yeah. Um. I, I saw something on the internet recently too of um you when you actually went to visit the his memorial earlier. Um, I think it was last month. Um, and you were all alone. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was going through your mind that day? Um. It was I, I hadn't I hadn't gone down there. And I've never actually 
been there, and I just finally wanted to go down there and, and just pay my respects. And um, so I finally did it. I, I gave it a long time, and um, it's really sad to go there, but, um, yeah, I did it, and I felt like it was good, somewhat of a good closure Yeah. to yeah. go down there. Yeah. And, Judith, tell us um, how you were actually selected for the memorial. Um, that was, we were rehearsing for, I mean, we were, I mean, that was like two weeks after it happened. We were all like still mm-hmm. in a state of shock. And, um, so, you know, I guess Dorian, he called me and said, and by the way, you're singing, you know, heal the world at the end. And I'm, and I just said, okay. Um, you know, I, I had no, I, my headspace was like, so like, we were all shocked and grieving and, you know, and it was like, okay, I'll sing Heal the World. And so we were rehearsing and it was like, we were rehearsing all this music like a week, a couple of weeks ago and now we're rehearsing it for his service. So it, just, it was like yeah. the most weirdest thing. We were just on the same stage with all the set up there getting ready to go to London mm. and then now we're up here at the same stage doing the same stuff. But there's a casket in front of us. Like it just, it was not... It was, I don't know, it was really, really crazy. And then I I had no idea, like, I mean, I knew that it was, like, all over the world at the moment. It was, it was just, it was a work, it was a memorial service. It was really, I thought it was a beautiful service, but, mm-hmm. um, it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely sad. Yeah, it was definitely sad, yeah. Uh, and I remember when my wife and I, we went to see the, um, the film afterwards, um, she cried through the whole movie. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It, just I thought this, they did a good job with the movie, though. Oh, absolutely. Out the most celib- it was more celebratory than I was mm-hmm. imagining it was going to be, which is good. I'm glad that they it, it just showed the best parts of it, which was great. Yeah, and, but it, it is still showed, though, that, that Michael still had it and what was exactly. yet to come. I mean, it really got you going. Um, because there was so much in the media that was, you know, misinformation. But when you actually see yeah. the film, um, it, it really shows you that he hadn't lost a step and that this was going to just be an amazing, amazing tour. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It really definitely, you know, he had it, and it was, it was exciting to see it. And we, this envisioning with that whole place just filled with people. Like, it was going to be a whole other level, like, so exciting to think about it. And um, having an opportunity to work that close with Michael, what have you learned that you think that you may also use in your own um, career choices and how you will perform and just in, you know, orchestrating and directing your own presence on stage? Um, I took a lot away. I mean, he... He is so, I mean, he's just naturally talented, but aside from that, he's such a hard worker and, and seeing, like, how he was just so meticulous about every little thing that the, the direct, he was really the director and the choreographer and every, he was the, the mind behind, the genius mind behind everything, and, and it really challenged me, inspired me, and said, wow, like, you just, it's, you've got to really be the one that's got the vision and executed to its fullest and not just the singing but the whole thing like your whole world like you've got to create it just like he did and that was just so cool to see hands on because he knew every, what he wanted down from like 
the actual color of the lighting on this particular bead and everything. So, I mean, and that's what made him so great and, and set him apart from all the other acts because he just, he made that, he everything he touched turned into gold. Um, yeah. And it's great to see that and, and be inspired by that. Yeah, and, and you hear the term in the phrase visionary, but you actually got to see someone who had a vision in their head and direct people to make that come to life. And he did not stop directing or tweaking his description of what he wanted until you guys got it. And, and that was just amazing, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, because it wasn't just your best he was looking for. He was very specific about what he wanted. Yeah, it's just amazing. A genius. But someone who's been in show business practically all his life. Yeah. Right, from the very beginning, you know. Yeah, there will never be another Michael Jackson, that's for sure. Yeah, now, totally. Now, are, are you still in contact with some of the other folks who were a part of that crew as well? Um, yeah, I am. I, I, I talk to um, the singers a lot, and I've seen um, some of the band members and um, some of the dancers, but mostly the singers. We keep in touch a lot, so that's been really cool. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we got each other's backs. We call each other for stuff. And oh, that's really great. And um, I hope um, in the future, too, you guys will pull each other up and continue your relationships as well because you were all in a very special place for a very special time, you know, and that means something. So you guys have to make the most of that. Totally, totally. Yeah, and um, what I wanted to do is I, I wanted to um, – are you actually in the studio now? You said that, right? I am. I am. Yeah, I'm recording here with Dave um, and Ned. We're working on this ballad. It's coming out really well. Oh, really? Uh, can you yeah. tell us anything about it? Um, yeah, it's like um, it's it's like a very epic type of like soul rock ballad, and it's got like this. Um, Motif in in the middle. This kind of sounds like a Gregorian chant, but it's in French. And then um, and then it builds up into this big, like um, you know, chorus. It's got like background singing and and then live band. But it's just kind of it's a process that grows. It's really cool. We're we're trying to like put together the music to go alongside um, a show that involves like costume changes and, and just almost like an opera, a very visually stimulating show. So wow. um, it's been really exciting putting the music together for that. And tell us a little bit about um, the song you wrote for Michael, We'll Always Be Missing You. Um, yeah, that was a, something I, I wrote that a few months after he passed. And, I, you know, I, I have a tendency to bottle things up. Um, and you don't really, sometimes you don't realize how things are affecting you until you, you express it, you get it out. And I knew that that was something I definitely needed to just get out. And I wrote I Was Always Missing You just kind of as a, you know, collection of everything I felt in that month period since he, when he was from, you know, sitting on stage with him to when he passed and then the, the craziness afterwards. Um, and I just remember, like, in his dressing room, on June 25th, there was um, classical music playing, um, and we were all sitting there with, like, the candles lit, 
Uh, and, and I'll never forget that. That's kind of what inspired me to write I Will Always Be Missing You in like a classical flavored um esque mm. type of thing with like a, a soulful melody. Um, and I just kind of go through like the story of what it was like, like singing on stage with him and then like him becoming like this, um, his death just becoming like this crazy thing, like like a whirlwind of madness that I just felt like I was surrounded by like in this tornado and I was like in the middle of the tornado and it was just quiet. Mm. You hear the, mm. the piano going, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's one thing to take a fall and to have yourself hit with something harsh, but to do it when you're when you're riding so high, when, when your dreams have just come true, you know what I mean? That That's, that's yeah. a long way to fall down. So, yeah, I mean it. I, I, and I felt yeah, for you guys. Yeah. I could tell. I could see. Because in the film in itself, when you see how everyone was really a fan of Michael's who was – working yeah. along with you guys who were do, doing this thing and collaborating on this amazing project. And then yeah. it all disappeared. Yeah. 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 It was definitely a huge fall. It hit hard. Well, um, we want to go ahead and just play. I will always be missing you by Judith Hill. Uh, and is there anything you want to say to intro the song? Um, I guess, like it's one of those songs that really just kind of is very solemn and deeply felt, um, and so it, it can apply to not just Michael but anyone that you've lost a loved one, and you and you just remember that person in in the deepest way, and that's and that's kind of what I want the song to be. It's just something that people can can go to when they really need to hear something that will help them remember their special person. Well, here it is. I will always be missing you. Judith Hill's tribute to Michael Jackson.
Judith, a little bit about why you you chose to um, give this song away. Um, well, because I know that Michael always wanted to give away the charities and just wanted to do it in honor of him. Um, so I, I linked it up to Child Help. I know that's a, an organization that she supported. Um, mm. and so all the proceeds of the, of the song goes to Child Help. It's in honor oh. of Michael. Wow. And um, do you have their website? Uh, the website is Child Health? Yeah. No, not off the top of my head. I, okay. I would imagine it's like childhealth.com or something. Okay, great. As always, you can Google it. But that that was very nice. Um, and uh, I'm sure they really appreciate that as well. And, um, you know, everyone who had an opportunity to download that for free also um, is just awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you can get it on iTunes, um, download it. Oh, actually, yeah, and that, that's the child help thing uh, on iTunes. Just like this show, is also a free download on iTunes and will be available shortly after the show is over. And um, tell us a little bit also, Judith, about your, your website. And, um, you know, there's a song missing from there. I forget the name of it, but it just starts off, uh, excuse me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What happened to that song? I like that song. Oh, yeah. What's it oh, called yeah, again? Excuse me. Yeah. It is? Oh, okay. Yeah, it I was don't know very... if it's on there. I have to check. Yeah. yeah very. Yeah, that's a lot of, that song is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. I heard that. It was like the first track I heard when I went to your website. I'm like, wow, I like this. And then you changed it up. I'm like, wow, I like this. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, you're definitely yeah. all over the place. So once I started researching you and I understand you know, exactly who you've worked with. I understand now how many different directions you can go. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to work on songs like that. When you write it in seven, you're already kind of like, you're making it something that's in a different place. And then, then the band loves playing that song because it's, it's like a rock. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when you perform on stage, uh, sometimes you're playing keyboard, sometimes you're just singing. Do you play any other instruments as well? Um, no, I'm just playing the keyboard. I mean, I play the guitar, but I, I don't really perform playing the guitar. I usually play the guitar at home just to write songs and stuff. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, on this new album, are you writing all your own songs? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. awesome. All, so, all original songs and then a lot of collaborations with me and, you know, other people. So it's been really cool. Does it have a title yet? Um, not yet. The title has not come together yet. We're just really assembling the songs. Yeah, um, yeah. Getting the best ones. Okay. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. You, you, you can't even imagine how many times I searched on um, iTunes for you and on the Internet for your music so I could, you know, have it. So I could have it in my car and, you know, have a, a CD or something I could play. And I was just like, wow, you know, when is it going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's so, definitely going to happen. Thanks. I appreciate it. Like, yeah. It's going to happen. And um, yeah. after after you release this album, is there going to be a tour for you as well? Um, yeah, there will be a tour. Um, just working on, you know, when it is, and depending on when the, the album is released. And, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a very interesting show, like with the opera. And um, I, can't, I really can't wait till we get that going. Wow, wow. And um, also, uh, we're supposed to have you on our, our Friday show, Turn It Up, and... Um, coming up this week. Is that Yeah, cool? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to do it again on Friday. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, you'll get a chance to meet my alter ego. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different show for me. The the um Turn It Up is for independent music artists, but um I'm working with guys who are just doing it from garages to closet studios to whatever. And um, some of them are very, very talented, but it gives them a form and a showcase to be able to put their music out there as well as talk to other folks who are doing what they do and, you know, pick up some, you know, tips and tricks and um, try to get a little bit better and um, organize themselves more, you know. So um, it would be really good to to showcase your music as well. Yeah, I can't wait. That sounds great. Yeah, really awesome. And um and I, I don't know much how much time you had since you're in the studio, and I know studio time costs money, and I don't want to hold you too long. How, how many more minutes can we get from you? Oh, um, um, I, I've got to get going soon, but um, okay. yeah, if well, there's any more questions you have. Well, yeah, and um, I just don't want to get into anything, and, um, you know, because I just wanted to get about 40 minutes from you, and we've gotten that, so... Um, but if you'd love to stay on, if you can, I definitely have more questions for you. Um, yeah, sure. I, I, I have time for a couple more questions. Now, when when the movie itself came out, right, tell uh-huh. us a little bit about the impact you had um, as far as how it changed your life. You talked about the fact that you were in a situation where you were really kind to work your way through the process of, of going through such a traumatic event, but still – um, television, radio, everybody was just pulling on you, and I, I just saw you everywhere. How, how difficult was that to, to sit there and um, talk about this event over and over again? Um, it was. Uh, it was. I part of, part of me like needed to talk about it. Right. It was like I don't know what what is happening, and I needed to like figure it out and talking about it helped. And so in the beginning, I, I talked about it a lot because it was like, 
my one of my ways of like dealing with it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Right, um, right. Just I went through stages with it because mm-hmm. you know, like when it tap first happened, that's like the only thing that consumed my mind because it was just like so fresh and it just really set us off like what in, in another place like we didn't know how to like like what's the next where do we go from here it was like right. really really like difficult so um, and tell us about how was it um actually getting an opportunity to meet um michael's family um i didn't really meet much with the family um i mean i saw them Every, you know, in different places, but never mm-hmm. really, like, sat down and, and talked to them or, about it or anything. Oh, I see. So when we saw you guys on stage, that was just pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, when we all went up on stage, and, I mean, that was, like, very, that wasn't, I mean, we never didn't have, like, conversations about it or anything. It was just, you know, the moment happened, and then it was over. Now you've got a, a very <laughs> recognizable look, um, and uh, do people often recognize you on the street? Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they hair. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a very very unique look, and um, you know, big hair is always in, and uh, it's sort of like. Um, it's not like Chaka Khan's, but uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely a look. It says a lot about your personality as well. It's very uh, fun. It's bright. It's vibrant. It's out there. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, kind of. That's one of the reasons why I like that song so much. If I just saw someone that looks like you on the street, and someone gave me a choice of music, I would have probably picked that one song. Excuse me. I would have said, Yeah, that's her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty yeah. pretty out there. And um, yeah. tell us what you do now um, locally. Uh, are, are you still performing, or have you stopped, um, you know, gigging in order to just work on this album? Yeah. Hmm. I, I I I'm basically stopped, and I'm really just in the studio working on on this album and everything. So that's, yeah. that's the main thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Actually, my producer's asking me to get back in now, um, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Got to get absolutely. going. But I, I, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. And thank you, Judith. And um, we will talk with you again on Friday and um, just wish you just many, many blessings in what you do. And um, we just thank you for sharing uh, a little bit of your private life with us today on A Measure of Truth. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation. And yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. 
She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. If I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all, or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? Is when the secret stays locked within, and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. 
We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm here, and I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community, a program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, kids and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today based on God's love for them will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. It seems that the truth has somehow lost its appeal. In today's society, what really can we say is the truth? Most of what we hear from news sources, whether they're TV, radio, newspapers, magazines, and the Internet, have been crafted with only one goal in mind, to sell more publications, to get higher ratings, and grab the attention of more and more consumers. We as consumers have been corralled, misled, polluted, and confused by the media hype and spin doctor machine until we're too exhausted and overwhelmed by the rhetoric and minutia to have the real focused attention needed to analyze the facts when the truth finally does come to light. The story that could be has become so enticing to the media conglomerates that the real story and a great story no longer resemble one another. A Measure of Truth attempts to expose the underlying truth of news stories that you all have heard before, but gives you first-hand accounts from key players that have not yet been giving a voice to tell the facts. These bearers of the truth are often forced to wait until the media hype has expired, and the backstory, which was in fact the only story, finally comes into vogue. When news and information comes with this much baggage, you can only hope for a measure of truth. A few weeks ago on my way home, I was stopped at the traffic light just before entering my neighborhood. And I was thinking to myself just how much better my commute was than it was the day before. Earlier that week, I took my usual shortcut behind the mayor's office 
and my wife and I saw Mayor Adrian Fenty in his new smart car. He waved to my wife and I, but I couldn't get my camera out fast enough, and I missed a great photo opportunity. So on Thursday, being better prepared, I tried again. But the weather was bad, and of course, so was the traffic. And I got stuck behind the mayor's office for over 20 minutes. When I got home, I was so beat, I went straight to my office and got myself a 40-minute acupressure infrared heat massage. And that brought me back to life. But today, traffic was a breeze. After traffic light, I happened to look over to the car next to mine, and I saw a beautiful three-year-old little girl staring out of the window from her car seat in a daze. I smiled as I thought about how wonderfully simple our lives were back then when we were children. Then she noticed me, and she smiled back, and I looked away to see if the light had changed, and when I looked back again, I smiled and saw her looking at me, and then she started laughing hysterically, only the way a three-year-old could. So I laughed, and she laughed, and the light turned green, and I waved goodbye and proceeded home. As I was driving, I thought to myself, if that would have occurred yesterday, even after my 90 minutes in traffic, that would have been all I needed to snap me back to life. A three-year-old smile versus my expensive massage bed. The kid wins every time. On the drive through my neighborhood, I had an epiphany. How many things have I placed in my life to make up for not taking the time to really enjoy all the simple things life has to offer? Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Many of us have forgotten how to enjoy and appreciate the little things or even the small steps of our accomplishments or the little likes in our relationships or the small things that bring us joy in the pursuit of things that would bring us greater happiness. We have become impatient and always looking ahead to the thing that we perceive to be the source of our happiness. Webster's defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Look, be careful in life that you do not lose your joy. Research shows that if you do, loss of good health is not far behind. Take time out to enjoy the little things in life. Rejoice in reliving life's joys through sharing them often with others. And take a moment to relax in your moment of peace through your joy instead of the empty pursuit of pleasure. If you ever lose sight of life's joy, take every step in your power to reclaim it as soon as possible. Your first step to reclaim true joy in life is just to look to God. He's always willing to show us his glory to all who are willing to seek. Just take a moment and look around you, and you will see his joy everywhere. But if you still need a starting point, look in the eyes of a child. The younger, the better. There you will find true joy, or in other words, joy and a measure of truth.
Yeah. 